Thanks for joining us for episode five of the Greater Educator Podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Eric. Last week, I challenged Rachel to find the connection between creativity and this week's topic, critical thinking. That's right. So here it is, what critical thinking looks like, sounds like, and feels like through my eyes. Our recent conversations have been exploring the four C's of 21st century learning. I don't know if it's been as apparent to you as it has been to me, but the closer we look at the skills and talk beyond the buzzwords to figure out what it all actually means, the more I realize how interconnected and interdependent they really are. Today's topic, skill number three on our list, is critical thinking, and in my opinion, it is no less dependent on its predecessors than the other two were. Like many of the other learning traits and skills that teachers are groomed to value, critical thinking is complex and dynamic in its definition and abstract in our attempts to teach it. I fear that in my own practice, it was something I expected of kids without teaching to kids. Another difficult admission that came to me after some self-evaluation. Thinking back to the turning point in my career, One of the reasons I knew that I needed to reimagine teaching and learning in my classroom was because critical thinking and the higher order thinking skills that I was hoping my students would obtain seemed to be happening in spite of my teaching habits. I recognized the need to push learners to the more demanding rigors of the Common Core Standards, but I think I did most of my pushing by revising the verbs in the questions that I asked. I don't think I changed much about the way that I guided students to explore the curriculum. And that truly is one way that I characterize critical thinking as a process of exploration. Whether we refer to Bloom's taxonomy or Webb's depth of knowledge, critical thinking skills are the strategies that students use when they cross over from comprehension of information that they've received into formation of their own individual meaning of and use for the information. I think of the process like a ladder where learners begin with a basic understanding and perhaps can even apply what they've learned across multiple similar scenarios. Critical thinking happens at the rung where they begin to evaluate their learning through the questioning nature of analysis and come out on top with the ability to synthesize, or we might say create, new information or understanding because of the exploration. So to answer your question, Eric, about the difference uh, that might exist between creativity and critical thinking, my answer might be that critical thinking is the hard labor that has to take place before the big idea comes to us. Neither attribute is whole without the other, and when we unpack the meaning behind these attributes and their implications for our classrooms, that is my perspective. In my own practice, defining examples of critical thinking was key to intentionally unlocking the ability in my students. Some of the pedagogical practices that emerged naturally were things like embracing and highlighting the productive struggle in my learners, helping them to identify their own personal biases and those in all of the people around them, developing criteria for evaluating information in a variety of forms, teaching kids to be truly active listeners and to articulate similarities, contrasts, and contradictions, 
These might seem like really advanced skills for middle school students, but when I implemented best practices in actually teaching these skills, they became tangible, achievable goals, and I saw critical thinking strategies emerge from all of my learners in one form or another. And one of the byproducts of living in a society where so much information is so easily accessible is that human beings can only internalize so much in a day. New research and theory gains traction so quickly that by the time the message is transferred from expert to scholar to superintendent to school-level leader to teacher, it tends to be delivered in a manner that's honestly just scratching the surface. I think assumptions are made uh, throughout a lot of the education world about what teachers believe and have access to when it comes to instructional practice and theory. But more often than not, the hours that we invest in refining our craft after the school day ends is designated degrading and short-term planning, goal-creating, curriculum supplementing, behavior plan reflecting, and a million little things other than diving deep into the real intentions of the latest and greatest education initiatives. And this is why words like critical thinking get thrown around without true understanding of what it is, what it looks like, or for goodness sake, how to teach it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm really feeling this one. I feel like there is a lot, a lot to get into here. Um, well, you left us off with that challenge last week. You, you kind of like steered the, yeah. And you went after it. I appreciate that. Um, you know, here we are in late September, the weather's starting to change. Uh, the novelty of a new school year, I think, has, for me at least, has faded. Yeah. We're in it. Like, We're in it. We're in it now. Yep. And, um, you know, I feel like with this particular topic of, of teaching critical thinking, um, you know, you'll get any educator, you can stand in front of any group of, of teachers and talk about how... Um, you know, we want to see our students do more critical thinking and, um, you know, nobody's going to disagree with that, but this cuts through, I mean, and I feel like this is really one of the main goals of this podcast is to cut through the buzzwords and really get to what this actually looks like in terms of me changing my teaching habits. What am I doing now? And, um, what can I do differently to, actually make a difference in going after these things that I think I believe are good for our kids. And, you know, again, I think that if I can get my kids to be better critical thinkers, then that's a win. So how do we actually do it? Yeah, because I think we have to break this cycle of these, you know, people work really hard to identify what it is that needs to transform education. And then it's like the ideas get minimized into these a lot of times acronyms like four mm-hmm. C's or whatever. Right. Um, and before you know it, teachers are throwing it around like in faculty room conversations with total sarcasm in their voices. Like, sure. well, I didn't incorporate any critical thinking or, yeah. you know, whatever the, the, the jargon is of the moment when really there is great, there's so much good associated with that. And it just sort of, um, it tends to, to 
get minimized to like a thing that we have to check off of our to-do right. list or our lesson plan template or whatever. Right. It shouldn't be right. like that. Right. Absolutely. I agree. So let's get into it and let's speak to those, those teachers who, um, and I honestly, I put myself in that group. Like, I don't know. How do I actually teach critical thinking? I think I've seen it in reflecting. I've seen things that I've done in the classroom that, oh yeah, kids were definitely doing some critical thinking here, but how do I set my students up for that? Is there a way for me to um, to guarantee that that's going to happen? Um, how do I incorporate that with such intentionality that I know that my students are going to become better critical thinkers having had me as a teacher? And I love how like meta this is. Like mm. we are going to engage in critical thinking to solve the problem of teaching critical, critical thinking. thinking. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is like like uh, I know I was pedagogical I was inception. Feeling when I was diving into this, hmm, I'm really like evaluating and yeah. synthesizing and trying to like make connections and figure out for myself what are my own biases about this topic and. All of that is thinking critically about this topic. Okay. So is that it then? We do we maybe that's how we start. Maybe we have to be like scientists with this and we have to observe what, you know, human beings in the natural environment do when they critical think. We <laughs> I think analyze it's not the when circumstances. They, when they critical think. When they think critically. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Okay, there you go. My bad. Um, <laughs> and 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 break that down and see if any of that is you know uh, repeatable um, and you know steer steer our classes that way. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you know, I guess my curiosity with the topic started kind of at the tail end of me spending a, you know a, an intentional amount of time looking at creativity from last week, and I found myself pumping the brakes on some of the. Th- the areas that I was getting into because I knew I was stepping on the toes of critical thinking, yeah, which is a, it. yeah, it's like, yeah. I can't get into that one yet because I'm talking about creativity here. Um, so some of the things that I think you did address, uh, but I just want to kind of, you know, talk about these, hash these out a little bit. Um, so the connection between critical thinking and creativity, what do you think in, in, in having thought about this, you know, a little bit longer. Do you think, I guess I'd ask, what's the connection between the two? So uh, the last time we were <clears throat> recording, we were talking about, or I admitted that one of the, the flaws that I see in my own teaching for a long time was the tendency to expect kids to be able to create too soon in the learning process. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't um, load them up with all of the tools that they needed, all of the learning that they needed in order to become creators. It was so it's like, like, here's this brand new piece of content. Now let's create and critical thing, or yeah. I mean, think critically and <laughs> collaborate and do all yeah. this awesome stuff right yeah, away. Like, like let's, I mean, I think often we, here's this challenge. I'm supposed to get um, yeah. students to be able to do these 21st century skills. Here's some content. Here's a project. Let's do this. Let's mm. collaborate. Let's do whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I think I, I jumped too quickly from basic foundational, like the recall stage. So we're um, talking low levels of depth of knowledge. Yep. So, right? so foundational, uh, lessons where they were, and not necessarily 
you know, lecture style or anything like that, but just that, that initial exposure where they had a basic understanding of something Mm -hmm. and then saying, okay, now take that information and turn it into something really new and different. Mm -hmm. Apply it in a way that is abstract. All right. So I've had students who, when I tell them to do that, they're like, just tell me what you want me to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do we get over that? Well, I think, Attitude. I think that part of it, and I think just like in anything, any other subject that we're teaching, it's a gradual release of responsibility. And, and this is truly where I think it becomes very difficult when we, um, if, for those of, of us who are high school teachers and we are teaching kids who have had eight or nine years of school that they're happens in a, it, right? in a, a certain way. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's, there's habits that have been formed. Mm-hmm. There are things that they are just accustomed to. And that the, t- the investment that it takes to change a mm-hmm. mindset that is fixed in this is what learning is. Yeah. Um, that takes a really long time. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that a high school teacher should have to start at square one for kids to not, I know I'm not saying that, um, that teachers aren't teaching these skills. I just don't know how much we're drawing kids' attention to it. Mm. Like, I'm a, I, the more I learn about metacognition, the more I love it. Because okay. I think that in recognizing what we do, what we ask kids to do, and why, yeah. um, just that transparency, I think, opens a lot of doors and really mm-hmm. helps for kids to internalize like, this is important. Well, and it helps them take ownership of their own education, which I think is a huge gap that we have yeah. in our system. It's mm-hmm. like our, a lot of our students' mindset is, I'll jump through your hoops. You'll give me what I need to get out of here and do something different. Yeah. Whereas what we're striving for with this, all right, let, let me hear you talk. Let me hear you articulate how you overcame your inability to do this thing and got to the point where you could do this. Yeah. Because what you're getting out of that, sure, it might be a grade. Sure, it might be the adulation of your peers and your parents and all these great things. But what I can clearly see that you're getting out of this is you're a more powerful person than you were before because you have this new skill. Hmm. And if we can sell the empowerment. That's a cool take on it. I want to make you a superhero. Mm -hmm. I want to give you the ability to change people's thoughts and feelings by bolstering your communication skills, right? You can literally change how somebody else thinks or with critical thinking. Like there is no problem you can't solve if you can practice this skill of critical thinking. Well, and even beyond that, like being able to disprove somebody or like I think... uh, People find it very appealing to be able to win an argument right. or like Call out prove the a BS. point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so this is a really basic example. But one of the things that I think a lot of teachers do, and I always had really high hopes for, it, was like the end of the year uh, survey where I wanted mm-hmm. kids to give feedback about mm-hmm. what they liked or what they didn't, mm-hmm. and offer insight to what I could change sure. going forward. Um, and what I found was that like the kids that really liked me gave me great, um, feedback, like 
loved it. You're the best teacher. Keep right. in touch. I'll miss you so much. Right. BFF. Don't change a thing. <laughs> you know, and then there were others that were like, this class is too hard. You're totally unfair. You know, whatever. Right. I didn't get much that was um, really useful to me. Sure. Other than in, in a few cases, some specific feedback about particular things that stood out in kids' memories of the year, which which sure. is valuable. Like, you want to know what they remember. But at the same time, I think that that is just another example of, like, I wanted them to perform an evaluation, and not just to evaluate me, but to be able to think beyond that, like, hmm, here's suggestions for you to create something different. Right. And... Um, there wasn't the the right pieces weren't in place in order to make that happen in a a feasible way. Like I hadn't I hadn't utilized that tool. I hadn't modeled how to do it. I hadn't shown them the thinking process that could go through it. They didn't know, you know, the different things that that I had experimented with. And not to mention the timeliness of it. Like if I want feedback about how I taught. I don't know, a nonfiction unit that I taught in January, but I'm not asking for it until the end of the year. Like they're not going to remember the the specifics of that. So, um, I think that's just like, that's certainly not the only way that I would have looked for critical thinking, but I just think that that's like a, a pretty simple and common thing that, um, it's one of those things that we imply or assume that kids have this nature to be able to do this. Mm. Well, I'm demand. actually curious about that. I wonder, like, <clears throat> so, okay, so I have kind of a multifaceted question here because okay. I wonder, I guess I wouldn't use the words, I wouldn't say it that way. I wouldn't say that our kids, some kids are just have a knack for it. Um, but I do want, I guess what I'm asking is how much of critical thinking and teaching critical thinking is something that is kind of incumbent upon the student. And I'll preface that question by saying that we know that education, that teaching and learning, it's a two-way street. I can't force a student necessarily to learn something. I can set them up. I can make huge efforts to meet them where they are and to, you know, lessen the lessen the curve, I guess, or the you know the difficulty level to to learn the the stuff I need them to, need them to learn, but at the same time, <clears throat> I think that there's I don't know there's there's something that the student has to actually want this for themselves. Uh, so I wonder about that, and I wonder, you know, are maybe this is too much to answer in one question, but I also wonder. Um, are some students just a little more curious about how things work or why, you know, what's the why behind this stuff that would make them more natural critical thinkers uh, because they want to solve the problem. They, they, they yearn for that knowledge and it's not necessarily coming from something that you're setting them up for. It's coming from somewhere else. I guess I don't really know where that's coming from, and it bugs me. So it's, it sounds like a question of 
how much is nature versus nurture. Yeah, there's a little bit of that in there, yeah, for um, sure. I definitely think that curiosity does play a big part into it because ultimately curiosity motivates us. Mm-hmm. And that's why ideas like passion projects and, right. and you know... I, well, the, the whole premise of personalized learning is right. kind of based on that. Right? What is, like, yeah, being student-driven has a lot to do with um, individual interests and talents and those sorts of things. So if I think that, um, okay, so this is where we get into our beliefs, like where we will say we have a belief that all students can learn. Sure. Um I I'm on board with that one. I have a belief that. that all people can think critically. Okay. What's that mean? So I believe that in a scenario in which they are maybe naturally curious mm-hmm. or motivated to to deconstruct whatever it is and to form an opinion and to break things down into the parts and mm-hmm evaluate those parts for their credibility. I think that people will do that. Um, but really getting like kind of almost philosophical metaphysical, we're getting like, what's the point of life kind (laughs) of stuff here. I mean, I feel that it's like, why do people build civilizations? (laughs) And and what what? I'm saying is not at all based on, uh, this is just my personal Mm -hmm, opinion. mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I just I feel like it is in some people's nature to to dive into those things. If it is no, I will say that it is in all people's people's nature to dive into those sorts of things if they're in an environment or a a, a situation that they feel motivated to do that or they're okay, engaged so, in. So now are we invoking uh, Maslow and like hierarchy? And, like if if I don't have some of those base needs met. Don't expect me to be a good critical thinker on this problem that you're giving me because I'm worrying about these life or death issues that I'm dealing with or uh, something like that. Like, I wonder if if having a student in um, – all right, so look at Maslow's hierarchy needs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to get beyond survival needs and maybe – do we need to get beyond, like – comfort needs like does a student in order to be a a critical thinker do they need to feel safe do they need to feel free free to fail free to spend a lot of time on this without pressure i i think of myself as a student and i was i don't know why but i liked to rip apart my toys I liked to, <laughs> I don't think it was like a violent thing. I liked to see how they worked. I didn't do that to like my pets and stuff, right? Um, and, you didn't put your cat in the microwave just to see what happened. <laughs> and I was, an, I was an above average student, but I was below average in like my speed. So when I would read, I would try to really understand. I'd get lost. I'd, I'd stop at the end of a sentence and I would just start wondering about what's going to happen or what this stuff means. And, um, in math, I would, I would want to understand why the algorithm was what it was and could it be something different and stuff like that. When a lot of my peers were saying, dude, just use the formula and crank out the problems. Yeah. So I personally, and this is anecdotal for sure, but 
I personally felt like um, there's something different. You know, most of at least my peers, they're like, let's just get this done with so we can do, you know, fun stuff. Um, But I would argue that from my own personal experience, that it seems more like a nature thing for me. Um, And I wonder what. What what we can what can we do to establish an environment that might lend itself to that? Like, what are my peers that wanted to get done with this? What did they want to do instead? Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and if I can motivate my students to be curious or to want to know, want to know what's behind, like the thing behind the thing. Yeah. So I think I that. I think one of the the first steps in the process, and I might be saying this in the wrong order, but this is just what comes to me through my own experience, is clearly identifying what it means when we say things like, you are going to be analyzing this character, or you are going to be um, drawing conclusions about you know, whatever it is. Like, I don't think, I think that when we use that language, a lot of times it's abstract and we, we assume that kids or even we know what we're actually asking. Um, I think in the system that we have, like there's ways to fake it when you're asked questions like that. Like kids learn how to answer questions that way. Um, But I also really think that when we, as just as learners ourselves, are aware of the processes that we're going through, we're like if we're, Hmm. I don't know, reading an article and thinking, I'm reading this article for the purpose of detecting bias. Yes. forming an opinion about the the credibility of what's being written mm-hmm. and thinking about how that impacts the overall message mm-hmm. noticing things like use of propaganda like all of those different components that lead into the analysis like it's a lot more intricate than just saying analyze this you okay. know and okay. so and I have I, a rebuttal to that and okay. here's here's my example all right uh, just this week I've been um, I've been brought into some classrooms to teach, basically setting these kids up to create a mini documentary based on a science experiment that they're doing. And one of the things that I I did was I showed the students a mini documentary from an expert. And I asked them to count how many shots, how many different shots were in this mini documentary. Mm -hmm. Um, My motive being that they'd be surprised how many there are in a five-minute film. And sure enough, I you know I ask him, what do you think? It'll be beforehand. And they're in like the 30s, and it ends up being like in the 130s. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I'm asking them to do is to analyze the documentary, right? Like, don't just passively watch it, mm-hmm. but think about how it was made. But you didn't just say analyze it. You no, told no, no. them... Right. How to I, do it. Actually, I told them count the shots, mm-hmm. which is the lowest level, you know, depth of knowledge thing mm-hmm. possible. Literally counting, right? Yeah. So how's that 
is that critical thinking? Does critical thinking necessitate some kind of depth of knowledge? Um, if it, do I take the critical thinking out of it if I tell them what to do? If I just said analyze it or no, I don't think you take it out. Or of what it. if I, I ask the question like, um, what makes this good, or what? Why is this a good documentary? And made them try to think it through. You may I so so this is my stance. Um, yes, for some kids that would work. Okay, but if you're having this conversation in a in a group, mm-hmm. you're going to get a couple answers from a couple people. And that may get the ball rolling for others. And I don't know. When you set things up tangibly, like, let's start by counting the shots. And once we recognize that there is a huge number of of those, now let's start to talk about the effect of it. Like, I don't think that if you had just said, we're going to be analyzing this video. We're going to be identifying the parts and, and discussing the impact. I don't know that, um, kids would have picked up on that Mm -hmm. as quickly or if ever. And that's, this is the whole process, right? We're teachers. We're not evaluators of things that kids already can do. Mm Um, our, our role is to, not necessarily show kids uh, an answer or conclusion, but to point them in a direction about where to look, to nudge right. them somewhere. Right. And I think that that's why the ideas of like modeling and scaffolding are such powerful teaching tools. Because I know for myself as a learner, when I see examples of things right. that I'm doing, yep. that's what's the first thing that I do when I I decide that I have a project I want to work on. I look at what other people have done before me, not for the purpose of copying it, but for being inspired and knowing the different complexities. So would you say that makes me, so would you say that my little like, Hey, let's count the shots. And then following that up with why, why were there so many shots and having them try to work that out? Maybe even before the why, but like, what was the effect and then mm-hmm. the why? Why would mm-hmm. the producer, whoever, have mm-hmm. wanted to right. create that effect? And then asking the kids, what other techniques did the filmmaker use to, whatever, establish mood or communicate yeah. a certain message? And how did the techniques change the message of it mm-hmm. and... Is that is that something that we need that in being aware of that we can I don't know be better evaluators of, of right, media of the content right? that we're consuming. Yeah. So now um, these what I'm getting to here is is that an example of teaching critical thinking? Is that how it's actually done? So this is that's a part of um, I mentioned earlier about I felt like a lot of my instruction related to critical thinking was changing the verbs, right? And it that's like well I know that we need to go beyond defining something or identifying something to evaluating it or um, comparing it to something else or questioning it. Um, those are some of the the higher levels of understanding. But I think the teaching comes in if 
students don't at some point have exposure to somebody to, to like, not every, not everything that we learn can just be like, but how did that camera angle affect you as a, as a learner? Like, how did that, I don't know, science experiment affect you as affect your soul? I don't know. Like that doesn't always work in that, in that context. So when you, I think that it comes down to, um, providing kids with examples of not, again, not necessarily what to think, but more like how to think about things. Mm. Um, I'm a big believer in teaching kids how to learn because the way that might, we might feel or, or have quite honestly been trained to Mm -hmm. deliver instruction is not necessarily how kids learn. Like, that's not the necessarily the learning process. Memorization is an awful way to learn. I'm right. way worse at that than a lot of the other things that, you know, I, I feel like I can do well. Um, and so I think that it's our responsibility to really hone in on what what are those things. When I look at the standards for my grade level or content area, whatever it is, and I see those words like analyze or, mm-hmm. you know, evaluate, well, what does that really mean? And how do I teach kids what that means so that they can understand the value of the process to get there? Because if, if all we do is say, I'm going to ask this question and we're going to debate this idea. I mean, I've, I've gone into situations and in classrooms where I felt like I had a great inquiry-based, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, just question to start after discussion. Nobody had anything to say. And it was because there wasn't enough learning ahead of time okay. in order for Yeah, they didn't know enough about it to have an opinion one right? way or another. Or didn't know <clears throat> what the components of a good debate were. Okay, like so they the, didn't know how the strategies. to put it together. Right. right, yeah. And I would assume that another factor could be if you run a classroom in such a way where a student is afraid to say anything because they don't want to, you know, feel wrong or whatever, that that could be another deterrent mm-hmm. that would ultimately shut a kid down and prevent them from wanting to engage in critical thinking, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's fitting that, you know, we kind of started this podcast with, all right, here's critical thinking. We all know it's good, but we don't know how to teach it. And here we are now having chewed on this for a little bit saying it's really multifaceted. It's really complex. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to it. And that's probably why most people don't know. There's not a simple answer to the question. So when you think like all the way down to the, the foundation, like how do kindergarten teachers Hmm. lay the foundation for this, for the rest of us who come Mm -hmm. later? Um, at its most basic level, I think we want to ask kids why as often as we yeah. can. Yeah. I think we want to model for them the same way that we use like mentor texts as models for writing. Mm-hmm. We want to use things like think alouds or um, making kids aware of that metacognition so that they have examples as go-to like tools that they can use. So when we ask questions like why, we want to give them 
some examples of ways to answer that question. And it might not be examples of answers to it, but of ways to answer it. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, one of the, I think, really basic requirements in getting kids to go beyond uh, basic recall or regurgitation is requiring kids to use the word because in their response of something. So if the teacher asks the question, that becomes part of the routine that when uh, somebody answers it, they give their answer followed by the word because, and then, you know, something else that's geared up to that. And and that then becomes scaffolded and more and more complex. And Mm -hmm. you add in, um, Maybe your because statement adds in specific evidence. Maybe mm-hmm. it's things that are um, quoted from authors or from research or from whatever else, right. from the, the textbook reading. That's where you get into identifying things like um, identifying claims and what reasoning and support really looks like, what makes it valid, how the emotional and logical impact of what we say affects our understanding about it. Like the more that we can clearly articulate, not just what those things are, but why they have an effect and have kids practice that with a gradual release of responsibility all the way through. Um, then, then no teacher is ever, other than our kindergarten teachers, are left as starting at square right. one. Right. Like you should have that foundation should be there. But we really rely on everybody all along the way to be um, really transparent in in drawing kids' attention to how to do that and to notice and rec- like to recognize when they are when doing, doing it. Well, right. Yep. So, <clears throat> all right. So again, coming from a totally practical point of view here, it, a takeaway from this podcast, how do you teach critical thinking is the simplest possible way to do it is to simply ask the question, why? Um, I don't think simply asking the question is enough to teach it. Gotcha. I think it <clears throat> that's your like anticipatory, whatever that. Well, that's, that, that's assessing it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's what, well, it could be the assessment, but it's not the assessment the first time you ask it. You know what I mean? Like, like if you're having a conversation, I can think right now, um, at the elementary school where I work there, there's a unit about apples. Mm -hmm. Um, so you might think about identifying the parts of an apple, right? But then we might ask the question like, why why are the seeds of an apple inside mm-hmm. of the fruit? Like, why right. does the fruit grow around the seeds? Right. Like, kids aren't going to nest. They might guess. Sure. I guess. Is you. guessing critical thinking? I don't yeah. know. Maybe yeah. it's maybe it's a step in the continuum. Maybe yeah. it's it's a beginning part of that. Um, well, that's interesting. Yeah. You know what? So if the how seeds, do I how do I find the seeds of an apple? And then we get into comparing and contrasting the seeds of an apple grow in the middle and are mm-hmm. protected by the fruit but the seeds of a strawberry are on the right. outside. Why? Right. Well, I don't know why. Right. So we then we have to go through, I don't know, research conversations, skills. debate, yeah, right. uh, experiments, mm-hmm. yeah, research, all those sorts of things. And all of that, I feel like, is what equips kids to be able to think critically. Mm-hmm. But 
when Are we, we trying then, to teach kids. Hold to, on. Let me finish this one thought or I'm going to forget it. My bad. <laughs> so all of those things equip kids to be able to think critically. But when we then say, okay, they've done all of these things, but now I'm going to ask you again to think critically, but I didn't identify all of those things as steps in the critical thinking Mm -hmm. process. So now when I ask you to analyze, you're like, well, I don't know how to analyze. And then, you know, a teacher might say, but we did all of these things before, but if that connection isn't made, that that's what you were doing. Right. That's what it's called. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, what were you going to say? I wonder if we know that we've taught critical thinking. If our students are the ones asking why. Right. Hmm. So if a student, if you teach them the parts of the apple and a kid raises a hand, why is the seeds on the inside? That kid is thinking critically. Yeah. Because they're not just, they're not just taking what you're saying, but they're questioning it. Right. Like going beyond. Yeah. And they're not trying to just be obedient. They're not trying to just get a grade, like thinking of our upper level kids. They're not just trying to go through the, jump through the hoops of school. Yeah. They're in it. For the learning. So So how do we nurture that? Do you know what that just made me think of? It's like, we both have toddlers. Mm -hmm. Toddlers have fly a lot. Absolutely. Right. So what do we we do to like... Right. That's where I was going. Tamp that... Yeah. That curiosity and that natural whatever. And like, stop asking me why. I don't know. Is that what we do? Yeah. Because it's (laughs) annoying. It's annoying to us because we have stuff to do and I don't have time to tell you. You know, or like, I don't know. Right. Like <laughs> exactly, that could be it too. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, what, maybe maybe a way we nurture it is when when a student asks why. Maybe we encourage that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we said that's a great question. Maybe we say I don't know, but let's figure it out together. Um, maybe we maybe we engage the rest of the class and say who else is wondering that yeah things like that to just kind of brand it as a good thing instead of like you just said like we stamp this out as like this is getting in the way of us getting through the hoops that we have to get through to get the job done when you know not to get super like montessori and you know like discovery just do whatever the heck you want montessori i think he was a good guy yeah yeah was that a guy I'm going to assume that it was. Yeah, I think it was the person. (laughs) There are some really interesting ones to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, All right, so so asking why um, is kind of a, I don't know, a bit of a, if if it's never happening in your class, I don't know, I I think that that's maybe a bit of a red flag, right? Yeah. Um, To get to that, that deeper stuff, that... Um, and, and I think that's really strictly connected to our carefully laid lesson plans, Mm -hmm. you know, and our schedules and the things that we have to get done, uh, the pressures that are put on us to get those things done. And our autonomy and our confidence as teachers. Mm -hmm. Right. Like dropping a Y bomb in the middle of your (laughs) plans, that can mess you up for a Y bomb. (laughs) I love that. Right. Like it can totally derail, but. I loved it when that happened. Like, and I used to joke with my students. I'd be like, look, I'm that teacher that goes off on tangents and I can never stay according to the plan. 
But I knew there was a method to the madness. Mm-hmm. I knew that that's where the good stuff happened. And yeah. that what the kids were bringing, and that's where that two-way street thing comes in. What the kids were willing to bring to this, I'm going to go down that street instead of my own as much as I can. Because if they're into it, even if it's not exactly what I hoped you know, to get to, um, I'd rather them be into whatever they're curious about and encourage that than to say, well, yeah, that's a good question, but we have to focus back on what this is. And that also is, I think, something that I've mentioned before, but one of my favorite opportunities for myself as a learner is when I'm teaching something and ask somebody to answer a question and they answer incorrectly, Mm -hmm. and I ask them, what made you think that that was the answer? Like, that... Mm. If (laughs) And that could be taken... (laughs) That could be the, like what? What are you thinking? <laughs> Why would you? Okay, think well, that? tone tone of voice in check, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's just like maybe maybe you don't say no, that's wrong. Why would you think that? But like maybe even before you say whether that's right or wrong, like what's your reason? Can you give me a because yeah. to that? Yeah. yeah so yeah. even if it's math so class, you have a culture or science, of that. Yeah. Kids and are expected to back it up a little bit. And a lot of times when I've asked that and kids had to like talk me through the process, they recognize their own hmm. errors mm-hmm. and they'd be like, wait a second, I need to change my answer. Yeah. And that's powerful too. And I think that, um, probably that, self-reflection um that like explanation of our thought processes is a is critical thinking in a in a facet as well so. mm-hmm. there's another i think another roadblock to um to helping our students become better critical thinkers and that is um i think we often let our kids off the hook a little bit they'll ask a question to get the quick easy answer and one of my favorite things to fire back at him is, I don't know, go figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like, just tell me, you know what it is. I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> but it'll be better for you to figure it out on your own terms. And, uh, you know, in, in my classroom, I tried to have a, just a general rule of ask a buddy, Google it, um, then raise your hand, right? Mm-hmm. Try to figure this out on your own first rather than the easy kind of, you know, yeah. you know, bailout move. Because again, I think for them to practice that, um, I don't know that there's something to that. I think, um, another interpretation of that, one of my like go-to lines was try your best and then move on and mm-hmm. we'll evaluate that later. Mm. So, um, when you think about any kind, anytime we collect information from kids, it's a form of formative assessment. Right. So if they come to me with a question, my like helping them per se, or answering their question directly Mm -hmm. sort of infringes on the validity of the, that data, whatever it is. Um, I would rather them write or say or whatever an answer that's like, I can figure out this much of it and then I just, I get lost Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Or 
this is what I know, and I know that that doesn't completely answer the question, but that's where I'm stuck. Um, I think there's a lot of good in that, and I think that um, this is where I really feel like classrooms as workshops are so powerful because then you take an idea that a kid has um, applied. So they've had this foundational knowledge. They have a basic understanding of whatever. We're asking them to apply it in some sort of a context so that we can evaluate how well they really understand Mm -hmm. the basic foundation. When we see the errors in that, um, we don't want to slap a grade on it and move on. We want to take that as a step in the process which we will refine together as oh, part but that of takes this so much time I know it, it's so much easier to we do We can't just it. move on after that <laughs> we have to like spend more time on that and it's just one kid But I this mean. is why everything that we do <laughs> in classrooms should be focused on skills and right. not facts not content like everything that you taught as a as a history teacher all of those great stories that happened like the purpose of all of that is to have things that kids can practice all of the skills that historians and researchers and um you know economists and whoever you learn these concepts you learn how humanity works you learn how whatever yeah all that stuff and it all it all iterates over and over and over again so when we look at what we teach as being teachers of skills who practice those skills through content, then we look at that like, well, it's actually not easier to not do it that way because it's hard to teach a skill in one sort of sit and get, right. you know, exactly. you either get it or you don't and then you move on because inevitably they're going to have to use that skill again. Right. And if the deficit is a skill deficit and not a comprehension deficit regarding content, then you're not going to make progress. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't hear that and not think about sports and you practice. Gotta love when you get to the sports sports segment of the podcast. Always. Always. (laughs) But I mean, it's true. Like, you, um, if you're a coach, you're not um, you're not looking at your. Let's just say you're a football coach, and you're looking at your eleven guys out there, and your left tackle can't block the end that's coming around and, and sacking your quarterback like every other down. You can't look at that and be like, "Hey, you know what? Ten of my eleven guys are awesome. That's pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to keep going." Like you're going to move heaven and earth to teach that one kid the skills he needs to improve, even if the methods you use are working for the other 10. Mm-hmm. You're going to figure out a way to reach that kid, right? And there's dramatic Hollywood movies about all of these stories, right? But our mindset is, instead, uh, hey, he knows what he's supposed to do, so that's good enough, right? Or he can't like, actually do I it. did my part. The rest yeah. is up to him. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. Because when we talk about teaching skills in this brand new era of human civilization in which the answers to the content questions are at our fingertips with the internet, Mm -hmm. and therefore the skills to how to use that content have totally skyrocketed in importance, um, that's, that's, 
I, I don't know. I, I think that um, things like sports, things like art, they've all music. They've been more heavily skill based, um, and so and I and I think that critical thinking is totally wrapped up in that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how do you go about? Um, and I again, we come back, come back to creativity when you hit the obstacle are you are you able to first of all have the disposition to not quit you know and the work ethic to put in the extra time even though others don't have to mm-hmm. um, and then the creativity to try things that are kind of off the wall to discover the thing that works for you which is kind of metacognition and learning how you learn right yeah it's so interesting. Like it's I feel inspired to go teach some critical thinking and creativity. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. It's, I mean, it's that's the fun stuff. That's yeah. the you know what I mean. Like that's what makes learning worthwhile. I think in a lot of ways. So I don't know. This all I think comes down to in my mind a realization that um, just inspiring critical thinking isn't enough. Uh, asking critical thinking questions is well and good, but there's, there are things that need to come from us. There are things that students need from us in order to be able to do those things that we're asking, um, that we're asking of them. Otherwise it's just sort of like, I don't know, but it, it's just well, happening it's, it's, in the wrong order. It's, it's, right, it's, it's not fair. Sort of like, yeah. Right. And, it, and in order to do that, um, if, if we really believe in the value of all of that, in the value of the why being um, that signal that critical thinking is happening there, we have to get comfortable. We have to mean it when we say that there's there's a culture of open-mindedness and risk-taking and and we have to find a way as the the lead learner in our classroom to get comfortable with that dissonance because um there when we have a room full of critical thinkers they might knock us off our pedestal a little bit right they might point out things that we thought we were the experts at that we don't know as much as as we thought we did and that has to be okay. Right. Absolutely. Um, I think it's... And again, we, we come back to the teacher letting go a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And flipping the, the perception that you have to solely be the authority figure mm-hmm. in all things. Mm-hmm. And and taking that to, I don't know, to just see the appreciation and potential. And, and to see that as like, well, I've done this job well if that happens to right. me. Right. There's so... We could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. But I feel like there was some pretty good takeaways. I don't know. I feel better about um, actually trying to teach critical thinking in a way that will help my students rather than checking a box or just kind of saying it and throwing it out there. Um, So we hit critical thinking. Last week was creativity. Um, First first week in this series was communication. Right. Do you remember the so fourth C? <laughs> I think it's collaboration. You got it. Whoa, I always yeah. forget one. Yeah. I know. All right, so yeah. I'm up with collaboration yes. next week. 
Yeah, that'll be easy. All right. That'll be easy to talk about. We'll see. You've yeah. got, the bar's been set pretty high, so you've Super got to come high. up with some, we, this can't just be some wishy-washy little, like, group work thing. <laughs> I want some real meat in this conversation. You should, yeah, you should make kids, you know, do group projects. <laughs> the group project of the month, right? Check it off yeah. the list. Now, we're going to dig deep into collaboration, and yeah, I guess that's the that's the call. Like, other than just throwing kids in groups how do we do how do we do collaboration in a way that sets our kids up to um yeah to be better learners to be just better people um what does it have to do with things like tolerance and bias what's it have to do with uh what they'll be asked to do in college or in the workplace yeah it's going to be Super good time. And how do we help people <laughs> who like are still used to the the quiet mm. classroom get comfortable yeah. with embracing that? Or the too. kids who are like, I hate group work. Just yeah, let me do this by myself. The yeah. ones who are both like, I always have to do everything, and then everybody right. gets to ride on my coattails. And the one who's like, I just hate people. <laughs> how do we get that kid <laughs> to appreciate the value in yeah. working with others? I can't wait. Yeah, we're going to be all over. All right, join us next time. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.